Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning. Last week, we began our discussion on the spiritual discipline of fasting with the body because following Jesus is a reminder that we're not just some soul stuck in a, a body to be ejected into space someday. We're certainly not, as our culture sometimes makes us think, just a body given full permission to cave into its every desire. No, humanity was intended to have a unified body and spirit. And that unified self is good because your body was created by the good soil of God's creation and filled, sustained, empowered by the goodness of God's Holy Spirit. So your body is good. Your soul is good. And what you do with your body will affect your soul and vice versa because you were created again to be a unified being connected to God, yourself, others, and the environment. And so last week we encouraged you to fast for the sake of yourself. In a culture of consumption, the delights of the flesh and the mind can often overshadow the other. When my soul is stressed, tired, hungry, uh, hungry for connection or space to even speak, my body can sometimes interrupt, even dictate. Wes, you should sit down and just enjoy a bag of sweet chili heat and a glass of milk. Or maybe for you, it's, it's turn on Netflix, binge a few shows, don't dig in, don't unplug, satisfy and relax. Let your spirit medicate your body or your body medicate your spirit. This week, if you fasted, what did you hear your body and your spirit saying in the free space? When you desired to quit, but instead cried out to God for help, was there a word, a picture, a response? Did you find strength, resolve, a deepened commitment? Did you find it difficult and noisy? How about distracting? You see, there's something called a J-curve that refers to the natural response we experience when we try something new or difficult for the first time. We actually regress before we progress. That's right. The first few times we try something new, we regress because at least in response to fasting, our bodies and our souls become hypersensitized to the freedom, the lack of stimulant, or even the increased restraint. And so if this week was difficult, that's normal. You are normal. It's okay. You didn't learn to walk the first time you tried. Remember, there's room for failure in our pursuit to Christ because we're not pursuing legalistic perfection, but holy consistency rooted in relationship. Finley often brings me works of art. Are they perfect? To be honest, what kind of question is that to a father who loves his daughter? Would they sell for millions? I don't care because in my eyes, they're worth a million dollars because my daughter is learning. She's trying and developing a passion she wants to share with me. Your walk with Christ, this apprenticeship journey, is one of learning, trying, and developing a passion for Christ that manifests itself in how you and we love God and love others. So what is perfection in your Creator's eyes? What is failure? It's okay to stumble as we learn to walk, so take a deep breath. Receive the grace of God. Receive the smiles and the love of God who sees you and is pleased with you. And this week, try again. This morning, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into why we fast. In fact, why do we do any spiritual discipline? As a kid, we used to sing this song in Sunday school, right? Like, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll what? You'll grow, grow, grow. The heart of this song is fantastic, but the song, without context, turns spiritual disciplines into a means to an end. 
Do A and you'll get B. And fasting especially has often been promoted, perhaps more than any other discipline, as a means to an end. Fast and God will bless you, heal you, hear you, or maybe even heal or heal, hear or heal them. Fasting became a tool to bend or change or maybe even worse, manipulate the will of God. And I think this fasting says more about our view of God than it does about our need for fasting. What type of God sits back waiting, wondering, hmm, are they really sick? Are they really in need? Worse, what kind of God needs to be persuaded to act, intercede, bless, love, and give? The pagan gods acted that way, but Yahweh? More harm has been done to people, their image of God, and therefore their spiritual journey and their faith with an equation of this. Do this and God will do that. We do not fast to get something from God because we believe that God is already giving. God is already present. God is already moving, loving, forgiving, and accepting. God is already for you, with you, and for that matter, inside of you. And so if you approach fasting as a means to an end, you're going to be disappointed with the result. And sadly, many have. I hear stories of, I prayed, I fasted, I cried out to God, I did my part, but nothing. Which means God either doesn't care or... I screwed it up. So fasting is not a means to an end, but a response to what already is. Fasting is not a means to an end, but a response to what already is. In fact, today's bottom line is this. Fasting is a prayer better than words. Coming back to my kids, they'll sometimes ask me, how much do you love me, dad? <laughs> and inside we play, or we play this little game, right? Like, oh, I love you this much, or I love you in the moon and back. But in reality, there's no words to describe the fullness and depth of my love for my kids. And to be honest, even if I had the words, that, and like I love you to the moon and back, it just doesn't do it justice, right? And fasting for Israel was, uh, sorry, fasting was Israel's most common way of responding and communicating and showing the reactions when words simply weren't enough or couldn't do them justice. Fasting for Israel was a form of body talk. Fasting is a body prayer, much like opening our hands in worship. You'll see me do this quite often, or I invite you to do it with me because I don't open my hands in hopes of receiving from God. I open my hands because my words aren't simply enough. Have you ever been there singing or praying and there's, there's this emotion of, oh, I wish I could say more or, or do more or show more. Words just seem to fall short. Andrew Murray says this, fasting helps us express to deepen and to confirm the resolution that we are all, that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves to attain the kingdom of God. Fasting is a prayer better than words because sometimes words aren't enough and they certainly cannot do justice to, to the moment. Scott McKnight in his book, again, the book that we're, we're reading together or I'm encouraging you to read as I read it during Lent, is, is one on fasting and he uses this framework. A is an event, a grievous or sacred event that leads to a response and in Israel's case it was fasting. So an event, a grievous or or sacred event leads us to respond by fasting that leads to a potential result. And I say potential because it doesn't mean that we're, see again, we're not fasting for a result. We're fasting in response to event. And that could have a result or it could not, but that's not the focus. And so for the, for the Jewish and Christian tradition, the formula wasn't if you fast, you'll get. But th when this happens, God's people fast. Fasting is a natural response to an event that we simply cannot find words for. So we pray with our bodies because there's no words. 
And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at fasting in response to grievous and sacred events. And this morning, we're going to start with the most common event that led to, led to Israel's personal and national fast, repentance. When I was in Israel last month, I had, uh, it might seem weird to say this, but the blessing of being able to uh, visit the Holocaust World Memorial. Um, and spending two hours in this, in this place was an event that there's simply no words to describe. There's so, no words to describe the pain, the suffering um, that, that the Jewish people endured during uh, that terrible time. And there's no words to express just the realization of what we're capable of doing as, human, as, as humanity, as, as humans, sorry. For me, as I, as I looked at this stuff, it's one thing to see it on TV or to learn about it in textbooks. It was another to be immersed in that experience. They encouraged us to have lunch when we first arrived to the museum because, to be honest, afterwards, who could eat at a time like that? And this is a really important personal experience as I reflect on fasting. Because the Hebrew word to repent literally means, well, translated within an English equivalent, means to, to turn around. Fasting in connection to repentance is our being turning around. And so we've all been there in moments of remorse, right? Where we have this event where we've done something or the realization that we've done something and we can see it on the face of the other person. Or when we come and we say that we're sorry to this other person. And so these moments are often branded in our memory because of the grievousness of that moment and all the words in the world couldn't express our remorse. Saying sorry, have you ever been there where saying sorry almost seems childish in light of the event because sorry just won't cut it? And it's not that we think the other person demands more. I want to I say that again. It's not like we think the other person is demanding more, but our internal response to the grievousness of, of our sin, our, uh, like this issue that we've caused or created or, or participated in is so big that we're just like, this isn't enough for me. That I, saying sorry isn't enough for me. It's not that we think the other person demands it, but the words just can't express the turning, the repentance that's taking place inside of us. That we want, we're not just turning, we're running in the other direction. And so in these moments of utter awareness and lack of vocabulary to their own sin, to this grievousness of their actions, the things that they participated in, the systems they even put in place, what did Israel do? Their natural response wasn't just to say, I'm sorry. That's a part of confession and repentance. But it was to take this next step, step for them that they fasted. It was their repentance made manifest in their bodies. Fasting was a prayer of regret, remorse, and confession and repentance better than words, and it was built right into the national calendar. Yes, there was a day, and there is, a day of national repentance where, they are, where they're told you must stop, remember, confess, and repent, or to turn from those things that you have done, the, the sin in your life. We don't have a lot of time this morning to discuss sin. We bring it up from time to time as it, as it needs to be. But sin quickly is a moment, it's an action, it's a thought that diminishes the value, the love, the potential, the opportunity of another. My kids' favorite line when they, they sin, when they harm someone or they get into a fight with their sisters or brothers or whatever it might be, is to say, I didn't mean to. Does a mistake um, 
change the grievousness of the moment <clears throat> your brother and sister were abused for the sake of yourself? Sin is when we turn God, ourselves, others, and our environment into the means to an end. When we become the center of, of it all at the cost of another. I wanted X, so I did this to them. And some of them might not be obviously even blatant. Some of it's formed into the systems we have in, in our culture where we benefit from the abuse someone else is experiencing, that we benefit from their restrictions, that we are placed higher. I'm privileged because you are. Um, you're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z, or you don't have the same standing as I do, or whatever it might be. I, I'm able to buy this at this price because you only make that at your job. <clears throat> There's systems of sin that we we're just blatantly take part in that we have created for ourselves, even within our homes, right? The, the abuse that we we say in our language to each other, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also systems that we participate in as a culture that are that are sinful. And when we become <clears throat> aware of these things, Israel was told that this is what they were supposed to do, to become aware of them on this special day called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, when Israel would confess their personal and national sin. And during that time, God would cover or atone, the Day of Atonement, God would cover, atone, and forgive their sin. This is all a part of that framework, the event, the event, this, this reconciliation, this awareness of my sin, my confession of my sin, my, my repentance of my sin, and God's atonement of forgiveness of this sin is all a part of that opening section A. Leviticus 23 outlines the fasting, and we're going to talk about this more in our tables this week. But during this section, there, Israel is told to deny themselves. That as they, as they repent and as they um, seek forgiveness and uh, ask for forgiveness, as they say, I'm sorry... They're also encouraged to deny themselves. And we can see this as a rule of legalism. But much like the Western Wall that I visited, this moment is not a time of, fo of forced confession, but honest self-reflection in response. Fasting is not a forced response, but a natural one. How can I eat at a time like this when I have to come face to face with what I've done? What we've done... And so Israel, so serious about their turning, fasting, they fasted, sorry, because it was a prayer better than words. Because I'm sorry, just under certain circumstances, just simply, it just doesn't cut it. Not for the other person, not that the other, again, not that the other person is demanding it, but there's just something internally inside of us. We've all been there. When saying, saying I'm sorry, is, it almost seems childish, and it's certainly not going to do justice to to what I'm feeling as I want to turn away from and reconcile this relationship, as I want to turn away from that sin, sorry. And so if we apply this to McKnight's framework, we see the grievous sacred moment is seeing, realizing, confessing sin, and finding atonement and forgiveness. Yes, God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy is a part of that first section. A, that there's an event, that God's forgiveness is a part of that sacred event. And so Israel did not fast to be forgiven, but God's atonement is a part of the event that leads them to respond by fasting. It's like, wow, I'm overwhelmed. And so repentance is both an awareness and confession of my sin, but the overwhelming realization in reception of God's grace. They had no words to express even their joy of being forgiven. And the result, the whole nation and their whole being engaged in the act of turning 
It wasn't just verbally responding, thank you, or I'm sorry, and therefore thank you, but the whole body experience in statement. Fasting was their prayer better than words. All these years later in the Christian tradition, this repentance might not have a day, but I think it absolutely has a place. In fact, I honestly believe that fasting in response to repentance just might need a bigger place in the life of the Western church. Do we need a day of atonement when we stop, reflect, acknowledge, and respond to the sin we've participated in as individuals and yes, even as a movement? Have we come to a place when the realization of our sin says, wow, saying sorry just isn't enough. Is our natural response to speak with our entire beings because words cannot do justice? This was and remains to be an integral part for uh, and during Lent. A season dedicated to focusing on Christ's journey to the cross is also an acknowledgement of the sin that nailed him there. The reason for the season is my sin. And the historical church has fasted because our words are not enough. They'll never do justice. It cannot fully describe our soul's remorse and intent to repent, to turn back to God. Not to manipulate forgiveness, but knowing full well that God has shown that we are forgiven. Fasting is a prayer better than words because sometimes we simply don't have the words. This morning, we're going to create space. We're going to create space for you to reflect on your relationship with God, yourself, others, and the environment. Are there moments that in action or thought or a combination of both, you found yourself off the track of love? Did you make a mistake? Maybe make a mistake on purpose? Did someone else become a means to your end? In the way that you've said something or done something or maybe even participated in systems in our culture that diminish the value and the equity of someone else? This morning, as we sing a couple of songs, we're going to create space for you to reflect and repent. Because during stage one, it is about repentance, but that also includes confession. To to turn the other way, I believe, has to acknowledge that they are on the wrong way. It's still a verbal response of sorts because to our sin, to our sin, sorry. One of the things that kind of continues to shock me that teaches me a whole lot about um, guilt and shame is my kids, um, how difficult it is for them to say sorry sometimes. And so as a family, we're trying to normalize saying sorry. Your first reaction in the moment when you hurt someone should be, "I'm, I'm sorry. Not for the sake of just saying it, but for the sake of being able to look at that person and, and say that I acknowledge what happened and I acknowledge that I'm sorry. Sure, the words might not express enough, but that's the start of the start, right? With the confession. And so here at Reunion, we want to normalize confession and repentance. We want to be able to acknowledge this is where I'm headed and it's the wrong way. I want to turn back to God. And in order to do that, I need to acknowledge that there's a turning taking place. And that often starts with our vocabulary. But maybe this week as we do this, you'll realize that your words just simply aren't enough. They're not doing justice to how you feel inside. Does it mean that God's not forgiving you? Absolutely not. It means God has forgiven you. But in the midst of that, there's still this weightiness to it. And it's not guilt or shame. It's just this realization that what I did demands a little bit more. Not because God's asking for it, but because I want to. It's my natural response to this grievous reality of what I've done. This is a part of Israel in the early church's normal rhythm. 
that sin is a heaviness that we carry and sometimes words aren't enough. And so we confess our sorrow and our sin. We turn back to God who's already turning to us. And we fast. Because fasting is a prayer better than words. So as we sing these next couple of songs, if you're listening online, we're going to um, sing uh, How Great the Father's Love for Us um, and uh, Lord, I Need You. And so if you want to go to YouTube or, um, or your streaming service, whatever that might be, your music provider, you can search that hymnal as well as that chorus. And we're, we're just going to simply have them on and, and listen and, and sing if we want and, and enter into this time of reflection as we, as we turn towards the things that have often turned us against other people, even God and ourselves and our environment. And we're going to begin this, this week of fasting with the stage one of, of coming face to face with these directions we've headed in this confession of I'm sorry and I want to turn, repent, to turn the other way. As we sing this time, what is God saying to you and how are you going to respond? Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.